0: It's simultaneously a joy to be with you, but also humbling. Um, this is um, to see a church that that so openly on its shirt sleeve, so to speak, um, wears its heart for for missions. I love the fact that the house churches are are named after the locations where um, where where you guys are investing your prayers, where you guys are investing your resources, where you are investing yourselves personally on the work that God's doing around the world. And so uh, the title. Of this message uh, this morning uh, is sent, and uh, right now I kind of feel like I'm speaking to the choir. I feel like you guys um, at Harvest do such a great job at sending your people, at sending others, at sending um, into the harvest. Um, but today, this morning, I think we have um, God has something for us in this passage, and so I'd just like to um, look at Mark chapter six, verses seven through thirteen, and then uh, verses thirty through forty-four with you. Mean? This is God's word. And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. And he gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. In verse 30, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place his disciples came and said to him, "This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away, and go send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat." But he answered them, "You give them something to eat." And they said to him, "Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread, and give it to them to eat?" And he said to them, "How many loaves do you have? Go and see." And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. God, I just pray that you would speak to us this morning through your word, that our eyes would be open to see and our ears would be open to hear, Lord, your voice. I just pray that you would cause me in this moment to decrease and for you to increase. God, I just pray that you would speak over me, speak through me, um, and by your spirit, that you would open many ears to hear, and that we would be that we would be sent to live for you um, as a result of, of spending time in your word. I pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. So the Bible tells us this grand story. And throughout this grand story, there are um, all these little stories of of people who God calls, who God brings into and enters into, allows to come into relationship with himself. Um, But one of the things that we notice as we go through, you know, we could go through almost any story in in the Bible, um, God never calls people into relationship with himself without also sending them out on mission. Um, And it's not that God just sends us out to do just anything. We are called and sent out to join God in His mission. Um, it's not that we have a mission that God send us out, sends us out on, and you know we take care of that task while God, you know, just oversees and does His own thing. We are sent out on God's mission, um, and so His mission is to redeem and restore all things through the finished work of Jesus. And so we, you know, our immediate calling to Japan, um, we don't go to Japan because we love the people of Japan because we have such a strong desire for their good though we do. We go out to Japan because God loves the people of Japan and because it's God's gracious design uh, for the people of Japan to hear his word, to hear uh, about his love. And it's his will that many would come to know him. And so God doesn't send us out because he needs us. Uh, We are not indispensable uh, parts of God's plan. Uh, But like Jesus' disciples who were unqualified and um, in in way over their heads in what they were called to do, we are graciously invited to sit at the feet of Jesus and to learn and to be sent out by him. So think about who Jesus called to live, uh, live life with him as the disciples and to carry out his work. Think about who the disciples were. Um, in their day, the, by the standards of their day, the, the disciples were seen as, as, as just backward backwoods people. They were seen as Galileans, people who um, were uneducated, um, fishermen who were simple and completely unequipped to, to go out and do the kind of work that Jesus called them in to do. And so in, in that day, from a young age, you would be be trained under a master, under a rabbi, to to learn his teachings, to learn his um, carry on. Basically, the goal is to carry on the ministry of your master. I mean, from a young age, you would be do, you'd be trained in this work. And what we see with the disciples, they were, they were already in their professions. They were already out in the workplace, which means they already missed the boat of their educational opportunities. Um, they were uneducated. They were unqualified. And um, yet Jesus still called them. And so this might be the reason why we see in, in the in, in the Gospels that the disciples are always jumping over themselves to, to follow Jesus. They're leaving behind the nets. They're, they're doing whatever it takes to go and follow Jesus because for, for someone like Jesus to call them um, was unheard of. And so the weak, the unqualified, the simple, these are the types of people that God calls um, to be part of his work, to be part of his mission. Theologian Christopher Wright says it this way. He says, We know that behind all our fumbling efforts and inadequate communication stands the supreme will of the living God, reaching out in loving self-revelation, incredibly willing to open blind eyes and reveal his glory through the treasures of the gospel delivered in the clay pots of his witness. And so what does it look like for us to live sent out in this way as clay pots, as it were, being sent out to bear and to carry this priceless treasure of the gospel? And I believe that this these passages that we're looking at today uh, give us some insight into, into that. And so let's look... At, Again, at verse 7, Mark chapter 6, verse 7, it says, And he called the 12 and began to send them out two by two. And so one of the first implications that we see from this passage very quickly um, is that we are sent out in community. Um, This might seem like a a very subtle or maybe insignificant anecdote that that Jesus sent them out in twos. But in light of the following verses in which Jesus, he's sending them out very intentionally without the resources that they need. Um, very intentionally so that they would be able, they would have to rely completely on God. And yet he still sends them out in teams. Wouldn't it make more sense for him to send them out on their own to just kind of sink or swim and just, you know, see how they do? But God, he sends them out in teams. He sends them out together. Um, so this points us to the fact that we are meant to do life and mission together. You think of uh, the Apostle Paul. Who wrote the book of Romans? You, we would mostly all say the Apostle Paul, Right. Um, Paul wrote the book of Romans, but if you look at Romans 16, verse 22, it says, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you. You realize that behind all of these things that we attribute to singular people in the New Testament, there's whole teams. I I can think of very few places in in the accounts of Paul's ministry and his letters where he's by himself alone, uh, a lone wolf, lone ranger missionary. Um, he's usually with, with, with partners, with teams in community, and he's speaking to communities and sending them out in communities. And so the implications for for you as a church is you are to do ministry, you are to be sent, you are sent in your community. Uh, William Carey, uh, one of the most famous missionaries, um, he's known as the father of modern missions. Um, he served in India for many years. He started a pastor to train, he started a a college to train ministers. He translated the Bible into six different local languages. He was instrumental in leading hundreds of people to Christ. And some of the, the social reforms that he instituted and he helped put in place in India are still in existence to today. You know, this is a man that God greatly used um, for his kingdom purposes. And yet the, most, the thing that I like most about William Carey isn't really even about him. Um, this is what was said um, by a guy named Andrew Fuller, who in partnership with William Carey, um, this is what he said. Andrew Fuller describes this conversation. So before they sent Carey out to go to India, this is what they, um, what Andrew Fuller says. He says, Carey, before setting off for India, uh, he said, our undertaking to India really appeared to me on its commencement to be something like a few men who are deliberating about the importance of penetrating into a deep mind which had never, never been before discovered or explored. We had no one to guide us. And while we were thus deliberating, while we were just looking on, wondering what should we do, Carey, as it were, said, well, I will go down if you will hold the rope. But before he went down, he, as it seemed to me, took an oath from each of us at the mouth of the pit to this effect, that while we live, we should never let go of the rope. And so even William Carey, um, his great ministry wouldn't even have happened if not for the many nameless men and women who prayed and who gave and who supported the work that he was a part of. And so you today are called and sent by God to serve in your careers, your neighborhoods, within your families. We all have unique callings. Um, not all of us, none of us are called to exactly the same calling. Um, but we are to live out that calling in community, in the context of community supporting one another, praying for one another, holding each other accountable, coming along one side, alongside one another and saying, I've been there before, or this is how God led me through this, or you know, this is uh, what God's called and, and used me to do. And so the members of your house church might not be able to share the gospel with your coworkers, but they can pray and support and, and hold you accountable to do that. And so you collectively um, as a church, are called to do that together. You're called and sent out together um, to reach your community. Um, and so that's what it means. We are sent in community. The text says, again, verse 7, And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. If we were to skip down uh, to verse 12, we would see more in detail what, what Jesus sent them out to do. It says, so they w- So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. And so what Jesus sent his disciples out to do was was nothing more or less than what they had seen Jesus doing uh, over the period of their of their tutelage under him under their their time learning from him and sitting under him. Um, so casting out spirits evil spirits leading people to repent and turn their hearts back to God and healing diseases their mission was nothing more or less than to do what Jesus was there to do and that was to act as a road sign as a a sign pointing people to the coming of God's kingdom everything Jesus did that's recorded in the gospels in one way or another is pointing us to a reality that God's kingdom is coming um, and Jesus was sending his disciples out to do uh, was to point to this coming reality of the kingdom that Jesus in his death and resurrection would would inaugurate, would bring to pass and so the disciples were sent out in this, this mission, this brief mission, to provide glimpses into the future of both man and creation marked by the redemption, justice, and wholeness that will one day characterize all of creation. Um, four years ago, when God called us to Japan, uh, God also brought to, to me specifically, God brought to me Revelation 21.5. five. Um, sounds weird that god would bring a passage of scripture you know god brings visions god brings um, inspiration ideas but a passage of scripture Um, revelation 21 5 for some reason around that time that god was getting us involved in japan brought this passage into my life and so revelation 21 5 jesus is sitting on god is sitting on the throne and he's looking out this is at the end of, of all time the kingdom has come and God says, behold, I am making all things new. Um, and that, that verse, um, this expectation that God, through his kingdom, is going to make all things new, has been a source of strength in times where, God, how can you redeem the situation? God, how can, you bring, um, how can you bring light out of this darkness? And God has used that passage as a promise um, to guide me specifically but this is, this is really what the disciples were called and sent out to point to. The fact that God is in Christ reconciling the world to himself. That God is redeeming and restoring and making all things new. And he's doing it through the death and resurrection of Christ. But one day it will be completed. And so the disciples are sent out to point to that work. They didn't fully comprehend everything that Jesus, they didn't comprehend the role that Jesus, the central role that Jesus would play in that kingdom. Um, But they were just sent out to point to that reality. And so we today, we are also sent out to point to that reality. We point back, we point people back to the gospel, how Jesus, through his death and resurrection, unlocked the door to this glorious future of new creation. We point people back and then we point people forward through our deeds, through our actions, through our lives, we are to be pictures, visual presentations. We are to be show and tell of God's new kingdom reality that is going to be breaking into this world um, through the gospel, through his spirit. And one day we'll cover the earth. Um, Salvation will cover the earth as the water covers the seas. And this is the reality that we are called to point to. We are sent, we are messengers of the kingdom, sent uh, to proclaim um, this good news. So again, we are messengers of the kingdom pointing back to what Christ accomplished in his death and resurrection and giving glimpses, visual, tangible demonstrations of the future restoration and rule of Christ over all things as we bring redemption and healing to those who are suffering and far from God and as we engage in the conflict with evil that is taking place all around us. And so we are a sent community um, and we are sent as messengers of the kingdom. And our last two points, we're going to see put them together. Um, we see the manner in which we are sent. We are sent in weakness, and we are sent by a limitless God. So we are sent in weakness and we are sent by a limitless God. Verse 8 says he charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And so they were they were to go out with nothing. They were to, you know, they weren't even allowed to wear two changes of clothing. They were to go out literally with just the clothes on their back and their trust in God. Um, and so first, you know, the, the reasons for this seem to be pretty clear. Jesus wanted them to first of all know that this mission that they were being sent on was urgent. This was a wartime mission. Um, they were to go about it with a stripped-down wartime mentality. The kingdom was coming in ways they couldn't begin to comprehend, and it was coming soon. The time was short. And the second reason Jesus sent them out with nothing was so that they would have nothing to fall back on, nothing to rely on, but God. Now this might seem counterintuitive until we realize that our being sent out is not really about our competency. It's not really about our resources or our abilities. Um, there's this really great passage. I, I love the Old Testament. Um, how, there's this one passage in Deuteronomy where Moses, you can kind of see, sense that he's, he's over Israel. He's like, man, you guys have put me through so much. And so you... Moses kind of gives them these harsh realities in Deuteronomy. Um, And there's this one point where he says, don't think that God chose you and he's going to work through you because you're some great nation or because you're a a mighty people. In in fact, Moses is very blunt. He says it's the exact opposite. It's because you're the weakest. It's because you're the most insignificant that God chose you. And it's through his power, um, it's through weakness that his power is, is, is demonstrated more fully. And so... Um, again, we see in the, the Apostle Paul's ministry a similar theme. Second Corinthians, uh, Paul talks about a weakness that was given to him um, that, that humbled him. Uh, this is what it says, what he says. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me, this weakness. But he said to me, "'My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness.'" Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. And this this is incredible. He says, when I am weak, then I am strong. Isn't that incredible? I mean, how many of us look at our greatest weaknesses and say, that's my greatest strength? That's where God is able to shine most clearly through me. Um, so God's power is made perfect in weakness. A limitless God delights in using weak vessels because the weaker we are, the more God's power is able to shine through us. And so Jesus had healed the sick, befriended the broken, raised the dead, cast out demons, and taught with authority in front of his disciples for months. And now he was sending his disciples out to go and do more of the same this is the point when all great teachers step back and just say, all right, I've shown you. Now it's your turn. Go do it. Sink or swim. He just pushes them out of the nest to, to fly or fall. And what happens in this passage? Um, surprisingly, probably more so for the disciples than for us, they're successful, They that God works through them, that God provides for them everything that they need. Verse 12, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent, and they cast out many demons and anointed with oil, many who were sick and healed them. Then we skip down to verse 30, when they return to Jesus. Um, it says, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. You can almost sense the, the overjoyed, um, you can almost sense the excitement in their voices as these 12 grown men who are bursting at the seams to tell these stories of how God showed up exactly when they needed him to, how... Um, how they saw God work in power in ways that they never thought God could work through them. Um, in unexpected ways, God worked in, their, in in just that brief period of time, how God provided everything they needed when they needed it. So what an incredible mountaintop experience. Can you imagine how defined your life would be from that, that experience that they had? Um, that years later, they would point back to that experience and just say, wow, you know, things look bleak now, but... I can continue to trust God because his power is made perfect in weakness and and look how he provided back then and look how he's able to, he can provide right now. And so um, this morning, I can't help but wonder how often we miss out on what God might do through us if we were willing to just step out, even when it seems crazy, even when it seems impossible, even when the resources don't seem to be there. Uh, When we feel like we're the least capable people on earth, the least qualified people on earth to do a task, um, what if we just simply followed him in his leading? If he was leading you to do something that you felt completely inadequate to do, how would our approach change if we, we just went at God's calling in that way and just realized he uses us in our weaknesses? How often do we allow fear and uncertainty to keep us from stepping out in obedience? Our greatest contribution to the mission of God is our willingness and our total reliance on him. Anything else we bring to the table and, and, and becomes anything else that becomes our greatest strength becomes our greatest weakness as it obscures our ability to simply rely and trust in him and his strength. So we may be sent in weakness and limitations, but we are sent by a limitless God. A God who uses weak people like us so that those around us will hear the good news and see our good works and give glory to to God, not to us. This is a God who is not limited by anything um, in what he desires to accomplish. And so despite whatever circumstances or obstacles you may be facing this morning, this week, God is fully capable of providing everything necessary for his mission. He is fully capable of providing everything for what he's sending you to do. And so we are sent out in weakness by a limitless God. And so we see illustrated in this passage about the sending out of the disciples, how God works through them and provides for them, even in the context of, of not having adequate resources or the skills or, 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 or the things that we would think would be necessary for the task. Um, but the exclamation point for this, this message, for this point, comes in this latter part of this chapter, um, the exclamation point that hammers this message home um, comes again in verse uh, thirty and thirty thirty and, and following. This is verse thirty-one. And he said to them, "Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while, for many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat." And they went away in the boat to a desolate place, to place by themselves. As you can imagine, if you've ever been on a mission trip, or if you've ever you know spent all day just serving people and pouring yourselves out uh, for people. Um, if you've ever, you know, just pouring yourself out for people is draining. It's exhausting. You're literally emptying yourself um, to serve other people. And so after this, this period, we don't know how long it was. It could have been days. It could have been weeks uh, that the disciples were sent out on this mission. Um, after meeting up with Jesus, Jesus sees that they're tired um, and hungry, and he takes them, he says, let's go away, let's go on a retreat, let's debrief, um, and let's recharge. And so he, uh, verse 33, we see a problem to that. Um, now many saw, saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. So now listen to how Jesus responds. So when he sees these people, so again, all these people are suddenly crashing this retreat, this getaway, between Jesus and his disciples. He says, verse 34, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He began to teach them many things. Verse 35, and when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and, and buy themselves something to eat. And so remember, this was, this was meant to be a retreat just between Jesus and his disciples. And so imagine if you were there. Imagine if you had just gone through you know, these days or weeks of, of just pouring yourself out um, nonstop for days, and you're tired, you're hungry. And just when you have the chance to de- decompress, just you and Jesus and your friends and this huge crowd of people just crash the party. They just show up um, and you know, ruin basically all of your plan, all of your plans. Um, You can almost picture the disciples tapping their watch and saying, hey, Jesus, look at the time. Uh, These people, they probably need to to go and get something to eat, and we probably need to head out. Um, We don't want them to go hungry. And so, But of all the unexpected things, can you imagine how unexpected and unpredictable Jesus, living life with Jesus, must have been? But of all the things that, that the disciples couldn't have expected coming, they didn't expect this. Verse 37, he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give them and give it to them to eat? And so probably a better translation of the Greek there would be, Jesus, are you crazy? Like, are you serious? You want us to spend fifteen, twenty thousand dollars today's equivalent feeding this this people? Just send them away. Just have them go to the nearest village and, and, and get something to eat for themselves. Verse 38, and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found, found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. You can just picture the look on the disciples' faces as their hearts sink into their stomach. Um, this was their retreat. This is their food that Jesus is asking for, that they're pretty sure at this moment they're not going to see this food again. You know, when you're around somebody who just pours themselves out, pours themselves out for other people, it can be pretty inconvenience, can be inconveniencing to you, right? And so here's Jesus. He's like, oh, how much food do we have? And he says, go bring it to me. And at that moment, the disciples are like, that food's gone. We've got nothing left now because Jesus is just going to, we don't know what Jesus is going to do, what he could possibly do with this, but that food's gone. Verse 40, so they sat down in groups by hundreds and by 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 50s and taking the five loaves and the two fish he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before all the people and he divided the two fish among them all and they all ate and were satisfied and they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish and those who ate the loaves were 5000 men and so in the end not only did Jesus feed these thousands of people with just this limited amount of food but there was enough left over, one basket for each of the disciples. I mean, you can almost kind of imagine the reversal of their, their fortunes at that moment. It's like no food. Suddenly, they each have their own basket full of food. Um, what an incredible story. What a, an amazing picture. Um, and what Jesus is teaching his disciples through this miraculous multiplication of food is the same lesson we saw in that first passage, namely that the limitless God is not bound by limited resources. God shatters our understanding of what is deemed possible or impossible. And this has profound implications for how we live life on mission with God. How often do we allow our own perceived limitations, both in terms of resources and abilities, to shape the mission? It is William Carey who famously said, expect great things from God, attempt great things from God. And I wonder if the reason why we just don't attempt great things for God is because we we honestly don't expect great things from God. We don't expect God to show up when we need him to. We don't expect um, God to give us everything we need for his mission. But instead, God calls us out in weakness to press into his limitlessness. Whether he calls us to a simple or seemingly impossible task, we need to know that he is fully capable of providing everything we need you believe this today, what is holding you back from engaging fully in God's mission? Is it, is it finances? Is it your, your reputation? Um, is it your family? Um, a fear of, of God sending you to do something hard or sending you someplace that you deem unsafe? Um, a fear of losing um, the respect of your colleagues. So right now, how would your life look different if this was true? How would your life look different if it was really true that a limitless God was sending you into the world in community, in weakness, to be a messenger of his kingdom? How would your life look different? But there's another way, um, a final way we're, we're going to close. Um, there's another way in which this passage points us to the limitlessness of God. Uh, notice again, um, Verse 39, notice how... Um, first of all, notice how Jesus looks at the crowds who are gathering. So notice how he's overwhelmed um, with compassion because he sees these people who are lost um, like sheep without a shepherd. And then in verse 39, he says, then he commanded them all to to sit down in groups on the green grass. That's a very subtle, subtle little word there. Um, but did you catch it? The green grass. Um, we probably... I've been to Israel. I, I didn't know this without looking it up, um, but the green grass is, is is a really telling point. If you were to tell somebody in Japan that an event happened around the time that the cherry blossoms were in full bloom, they would know exactly what time of year you'd be talking about. You know, there's a two-week period of time where the blossoms are fully bloomed, and you know everybody goes and sees them, and it's it's you know um, they have festivals that that they surround around these things um, around the blooming of cherry blossoms. Um, in, in Palestine, in, in, in Galilee, um, the grass was only green for a very short window of time during the year. Um, the rest of the year, it was scorched brown, either through the heat or through through winter. Um, so there's this, there's this couple-week period of time where the grass is green. And this would have been, you know, for, for for Mark's audience, they would have noticed and realized that this would have been around the time of Passover. Um, and so what Mark is hinting at in this event As it took place around the time of Passover, the Jewish festival that celebrated God's great deliverance of Israel from slavery in Egypt through the sacrificial offering of a Passover lamb. Um, And so, Jesus, as he looks out over this great crowd of people, overwhelmed with compassion, he gathers them like a flock, like a shepherd gathering his flock, and he feeds them, knowing all the while that the limitless love of God would drive him to be the bread that would be broken. And it would be his flesh that would be torn to feed the multitude. You see, the God who sends us out is limitless, not only in his capacity um, to send, not only in the resources at his disposal, but to the extent that he would go to rescue us. It is this God who sends us out to share his unlimited love with the world. So Romans 8, 32, God who did not spare his son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him give us all things? Let's pray. God, in Christ, you have provided everything we need. All of our righteousness. nothing We bring nothing to the table. And God, in mission... God, the greatest thing we have to offer you is our our willingness and our obedience to follow you wherever you lead. God, if you did not spare your son, how would we not step out and trust you for every other detail? So God, I just pray that you would send this church out to be your hands and feet, to be your messengers of the kingdom and community, to do it in weakness, exalting in weakness even. resting in the limitlessness of your power and your love for them. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.